Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Okay, so today we have veteran New York-based prop stylist Robin Zachary. After working as the creative director for Bridal Guide magazine, she launched her prop styling career and has since founded a popular workshop, The Prop Styling Experience, and written the book on launching a prop styling career, literally, (laughs) with her book, Styling Beyond Instagram, Take Your Prop Styling Skills from the Square to the Street. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. Yes, you too. So, um, you know, we got advanced copies of your book and it was it was so fun to read through it just to kind of give listeners a preview of the episode. We're going to be talking about prop styling, tips for breaking into the business, practical tips for styling your own spaces as well, even in case you don't have any intention of becoming a prop stylist. First, I was just wondering if you could kind of give people a a little lesson on what a prop stylist is. I find that it's a very mysterious career that most people don't know exists until maybe they meet someone or they start work, working at a magazine or something and they're like, oh, this is a whole world that I didn't know was out there. Actually, I love the word that you use the word mysterious because actually before social media, no one really knew about what went on behind the scenes in putting together photography in general. No one really stopped to think, how did that catalog get done? Like what people are involved? You know, everyone knows about a photographer, but they don't necessarily know about all the other parts of the team. It's pretty funny because I, you know, start. I was teaching at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York for a very long time. But in the beginning was sort of pre-Instagram and most of the students came in, did not know before they took the class what it was going to be about. But as time went on, everyone came in much more savvy on, um, you know, on prop styling itself. It's very interesting. So it was always kind of behind the scenes. Just in a nutshell, a prop stylist is involved in gathering, setting up and arranging props and products for photography or film. And it's a busy, involved, detail-oriented, vital part of the photography process. So now it's more understood as you see the bar raising in social media and it's sort of become a coveted career. Yeah. And I think it just, you can't underscore enough, like how detail oriented you have to be, especially when you're shooting something so up close, like, you know, the grain of the wood and the textures and the scales, the lighting, everything. So I I always feel like the, the stylists, the ones that I've worked with on our catalog are as knowledgeable about photography itself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of, you know, they obviously have the styling too, but they have to know so much about the photography because that is a huge factor in what their items are going to, how they're going to photograph. And because there's so much going on, a photographer has so much work to do. They can't be responsible for setting everything up. I mean, there's a whole 
you know, you know how busy they can be and how much is produced in a day. So, um, you know, there's many other opportunities now for people to style and shoot themselves. I mean, the world has kind of opened up. It's an exciting time to be a photographer, but it just depends on the, the level or the caliber of photo shoot production that you're working on. You talk a lot about the different kinds of prop styling and the different areas and arenas that, that we're making images of. Can you go over some of those? Oh, yeah, there's so many. And really, you have an opportunity whether, you know, you want to specialize or if you want to diversify. So there's prop styling for food photography, which I happen to do a lot of. It's just sort of a path that is there's a lot of that in New York City, especially the recipe shoots. I don't know. I've worked for a lot of corporate brands and I seem to end up working for coffee chocolate, cheese, (laughs) you know, different uh, things along those lines. And then, you know, probably a little while back when there were more magazines doing recipes, I was doing a lot of recipe shoots, which were so much fun because they're all based on some kind of holiday or theme. And, you know, it's still around. It's just that there's less print magazines than there were a little while back. But um, I always, uh, I seem to do get hired a lot to style kitchens for as a background for some type of either product or like it might be a setting. So it's sort of like set design. So there is the food, there's the interiors, which are going to be for interior products like Ballard Designs and other you know, rugs or upholstery companies, lighting, all the, those types of products. They'll hire somebody to come and set up a home or set up a room to look as if people are living there. And that is very different than being a designer for a space, you know, like working directly with uh, the consumer. Also, there's product photography, which could involve accessories and jewelry, handbags, those types of things. So I've done a lot of that. Um, there's floral styling. Sometimes I'm just brought in to do flowers. Well, then I did talk about set design. So that's very often um, there's a lot of work in set design. Even tabletop. Like I feel like tabletop is a big. Oops. Yes, that's the big one for me. <laughs> that is, a, there's a lot of tableware products and tableware companies. And that's my actually my favorite thing to work on. Um, I do go to the tabletop market a couple of times a year to see the new launches and tableware. And I do some editorials when it comes up for Bridal Guide magazine and, you know, other tableware products or companies. So I do love designing tables. That's, that's something that everybody's always wanting to learn how to set a more interesting or exciting table. So that, that can be a lot of fun to work in tableware. Yeah, the other thing that I love that I find so interesting about prop styling is I feel like y'all's work seems so glamorous and it and it sometimes is, but it's also a lot of like carrying boxes around, packing boxes, ironing, steaming, lots of steaming, <laughs> repacking exactly. boxes, carrying things Exactly. Unpacking things. So <laughs> there's I a lot more manual that. labor. Yes. yes, I hope I explain that in the book. <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> it is one of those things where I always had like a standing visit to the chiropractor after a big photo shoot was over because <laughs> I was uh, always wrenching something in my back from going up and down with the boxes and bending over. And, you know, it is kind of hard labor. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. Yeah, it is. 
Um, yes, and it does look glamorous, but you know, um, I think that's kind of a new idea to make it look glamorous. I think most of the time I want to be wearing something comfortable and something with a lot of pockets and something mm -hmm. that is maybe layers because I don't know what the temperature is going to be in the room. You know, you want to kind of dress for survival <laughs> and you see a lot of, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, also, let's say you're outside and you don't know if you're going to, you know, be in mud or, or, or a yeah. 90 degree heat, you know, um, so I, oh boy, I was in a house um, in June once and it was during a heat wave and there was no air conditioning. So, I mean, everybody was just uh, like dripping all over each other. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we got by, but it certainly was not glamorous. <laughs> we had yeah. a job to get done and we did it and you really couldn't complain. <laughs> you just had to do it. Totally. That's very true. I used to true. always ask our stylist, um, for their shoe recommendations, because I feel like they always had the most chic, but yet most comfortable. Like they had to find something really cute because they wanted to be chic, but it had to be, you know, something they could stand in for 12 hours on like a concrete that's floor. That's right. That's right. Sometimes you're on a concrete floor and then you're like, all of a sudden, why am my feet killing me? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very, yeah. it is hard, but, um, that uh, that shoot in the heat wave was also during COVID, so we were all wearing masks on top of you know there already was no oxygen in the, in the house. Oh gosh! And we all had masks on, but that's what we had to do. <laughs> we got through it. Um, so so outside of the uh, the glamour that we're that we're talking about, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions about prop styling as a career? Ah, that's uh, that's also very interesting. I think a lot of people think that it's really easy and low key and fun. So, you know, while it is rewarding when you're working with a great team and everybody's getting along and being super creative, and it's also exciting to see your work in print, your, the finished product to make you so proud. It is a very methodical, detail oriented career. So, you know, you're working with hundreds and hundreds of items that you need to keep track of. You need to group them together. Um, you need to plan for each shot. You need to really do a lot of preparation work to be ready so you can hit the ground running and crank out a lot of shots creatively in a day. That's why I really try to explain a lot of the, these details in my book. And I also put worksheets for those are like tools that I use for keeping myself organized, like I'm super organized, you know, I mean, maybe not in my daily life, but in my work life, I know that I don't, you know, you don't want to forget anything. You don't want to leave anything out. The worksheets that you offer in your, in your book and your creative briefs and just your checklists are so great and so super helpful. Oh, thank you so much. I, you know, I hope that it would be a good useful tool for people to, even if they're not working as a stylist for, you know, for other brands or other clients. I mean, if they are planning their own photo shoots, because we know that now um, visuals are everything. And no matter what kind of business you're in, you need visuals. So even if you, you know, make your own goods and you're, you know, just shooting from home or you are working for other clients, but working out of your own home studio, it, it really helps to have a plan in mind. And I think I, I just really wanted to get that across. Yeah. So what led you to 
developing both your your workshop, which you it seems sort of like they probably have a lot of overlap in terms of their curriculum, but your workshop and your book, what what brought about this project? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that I was teaching at the Fashion Institute of Technology and my class was always full. Um, you know, it was actually a required course for the photography students. I taught there for about nine years ongoing every semester. So two to three groups a year. It was a great, great opera. You know, it was great class. I had so much fun and I just, you know, there were changes in the department and things shuffled around and I kind of lost my class. And so I was just love teaching and I want to, wanted to keep going. But what I really wanted to start doing was teaching one-on-one and have somebody come and spend two to three days with me. And we would talk about the business, which is all in the book, but the the key part was actually the hands-on learning. So it was kind of like um, in practice kind of thing where you can you know, use anything from my studio, my props and backdrops and different pieces of furniture, and we could set up vignettes and you could look through the back of the camera and see what happens when you, you know, move things slightly around and you know, how to make a better shot. So we learned about composition and we, you know, each person also has different desires of what they want to go into. So there's all those different um, niches and, you know, somewhere wanted to do more wedding design. And because of my bridal guide background, I had that under my belt. I could work on teaching you what you want to learn, what you want to go into. Um, so the book is really um, complementary to the in-person workshop. So basically, I, I used to hand people a folder full of notes and worksheets that really that's what became the book. I'd been kind of revising and working on this material for years. I mean, I was even giving it to my students in my FIT class. And I was like, someday this is going to be a book because I would go and pay for copying <laughs> you know, like $30 in copying to give to give a folder of worksheets and notes to people. And I said, you know, I think this is going to be a book someday. And I had no idea how that was going to come about. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's a whole other story, how that actually evolved and became a book put out by a publisher and everything. I think the in-person is exciting because it's always different. Everybody's so different. So it goes, you know, I have a, a in-depth questionnaire that I I learn as much as I can about the person before they come. I want to find out what their favorite colors are, what style they like, what you know, what they want to do, and then I create a curriculum for them. And um, but you know, in person, it's it's just um, I think that's where I can really cater to the individuals now during the pandemic, which was a challenging time for everyone, everyone had to figure out something to keep going and, you know, pay their bills and everything. So that's when I started teaching online and, you know, opening it up to multiple people. So I I had like 12 different courses that I was doing live online and everybody was kind of around. So I always had people. Now everybody's kind of back to work. So I still do an occasional online class and I want to be doing more of them, but finding the right time and when people are available is a little challenging now that everybody's back to work. There's still um, a desire for it. So I'll, I'll figure that out soon and get back to that. But I really am, have been welcoming people back here and doing the one-on-ones. How do you recommend, you know, if someone does 
think that this could be something they want to do as a career, how, how would you recommend they get started like practicing or is it, do they do it at home and just take pictures and post to Instagram? Do they, you know, like what, what should they do? Yeah. I think, um, they, the first thing is everybody starting to just kind of play around with it at home. You know, um, uh, there were so many people that love to collect beautiful things and have beautiful homes and which is a great place to start. You know, you've got the furniture, you've got the window light, you've got great taste in what you're buying and collecting for your own personal space. I think that's a great place to start. And um, I think <laughs> tons of people have got started that way. And that's actually like the number one thing people say to me when they reach out to me. They're like, I discovered I love styling through Instagram, you know, so you're, you're posting pictures and you're getting feedback from people that you find, you find your tribe, you find your people with similar interests, whether it's vintage or modern or handmade um, or crafting, whatever it may be. And you just, you know, get, that's what I, I said, the bar, it keeps raising because everybody's just getting better and better and better. If you look back to the early days and what people would just snap something completely just how it is unstyled but now there's just this awareness of things looking good and looking better I think it's changed a lot of industries I think especially the home decor industry it's probably been a big boost to home accessories and uh, furniture and all kinds of home decor it's a you know probably a great time because of because of social media also home building people that are building new homes I think they're building them so they're Instagram ready. I mean, don't you think they're like, you know, keeping that in mind? Oh, totally. I think it's so interesting too, to just see the boost in how people want their homes to look and how they're kind of styling out their own homes, even if it is just for a photo shoot. And then they're showing the, you know, the real, the real life behind the scenes too. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm constantly impressed by the people who tag us on Instagram and are tagging their own homes. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like it's incredible. Y'all are doing so well. I mean, we're having our stylists look at you all. I mean, you guys are, are doing great. So it's interesting to yeah. see how that community is growing. Really yeah. Is. It is fun to see how people can reimagine something you know, at least this is from the brand's perspective, like see how someone takes an item that you think of in one way and then shows it in a completely different way. And you're like, wow, that looks incredible with, you know, green or marble or whatever it yeah. is. And, and just seeing people's creativity and making it their own. I think that's something that we obviously talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, reinterpreting things in your own way. But prop stylists, you certainly do that a lot. Yes. And it's before Instagram, I think Pinterest started before that. And so I think that was the lead in to the visual, that whole, the visual community of, I know that Twitter also, I was before Instagram, before I was on Instagram, I was just posting pictures on Twitter and um, meeting people that way and connecting with people from around the world. And um, I think People just have this need to express themselves. You know, I think that's kind of uh, so many of the women that come to me are kind of looking for change in their career and their life. And so they've done something mundane and they want to do something new and they think that styling is going to be for them. So and I'm um, so amazed about how many have actually 
taken what they've learned and, and really turned it into something viable, like a real career. And they're just like attorneys and working other just mundane jobs, you know, re- retail or whatever, but they just, they want to take something from that previous career and parlay it into a styling career. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the book was Robin has sort of these profiles of different stylists from around the country and sort of how they got into it. And one of the ones I guess that you were just referencing was the attorney who just sort of started doing stuff on her own and then said at 47, I decided that it was time to um, make a change. And, you know, my husband just remarked to me one day, like, you've been so much happier and more relaxed since you started doing this. So that's why she left her law job. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, there's a transition period where you're going to work part-time, like you try to go to part-time so you at least have the steady paycheck because it can be a little bit of an up and down with money coming in when you're, you know, so unless you have a little something to fall back on, you know, you want to make sure that your bills are paid because, you know, it it can range all over the place from what you might end up making. You may not, I I did warn her, I said, you know, you're not going to make the same kind of money but you know the sky's the limit. You make it what you what you want. You know, it depends on where you where you go with it and what opportunities lie ahead of you. Um, everybody's got a different path, so you never know. Yeah. So on the topic of you know, kind of how everyone is so much more cognizant of prop styling and and styling their homes, I wonder if we could kind of talk about some prop styling tips that our listeners may want to take away. I think. An easy one would be like styling open shelves, but like, what do you even do to get started? What are, what are your tips that you give people? Sure. Um, well, like, let's say for instance, you've got open shelves in your kitchen and you want to style them. So they look pretty in photographs, right? Now, this is something that I've done quite often. And then also these tips can be useful for any type of vignette. So there's a few just simple principles that you want to have varying heights in your items that you're going to display. So let's say for a kitchen, it could be, you know, tall vases, plants, some bowl, low bowls might maybe filled with lemons or pine cones or something like that. Maybe you're, you've got your ceramic canister with your kitchen tools. You want to create levels with these different heights. So you can either on, let's say, a stack of books placed on their side can raise something small. You top it with something like a, either a little dish or a, um, a little figurine or something like that. So you have, um, you have some tall things, you have some low things, and then you also create these varying levels. So um, you, it could be a stack of dinner plates with um, something, you know, at the top, a little plant or something like that on top of a stack of dinner plates. You can also use the back wall and prop up a cutting board, a plate or a platter. And then I like to also use mixed materials. So you could have a few glasses or stemware. So you're you're alternating like glass and maybe books and then some bowls, a stack of bowls, maybe a, a, a wooden bowl. You can also bring in, let's say, a teapot or a coffee pot or something with, a, with mugs. I mean, so it's just bringing in different things of different heights and playing around with the shapes. I like to sketch some things out in advance. I'm a sketcher whenever I'm planning 
anything. I'm not a great artist, you know, but I can do little, uh, just little thumbnail sketches to kind of plan how things will will go and how, you know, the width of the shelf up and then down and then up and then down, you know, and I will, because you're really working with these shapes, you're working with circles, overlapping with a rectangle or a box, ovals, triangle shape things. I mean, so I kind of reduce everything down to a basic shape and then just kind of draw little intersecting shapes and then play, then it kind of makes sense to me. Um, I kind of do that for any kind of work that I'm working on. If I know it's going to be a magazine page or I know it's going to be a, a square box for Instagram, I try to just kind of plan out my composition in, in advance. And I do it really quickly. It's not, it doesn't have to be any great work of art, but it can be very helpful to do that for any type of area that you're looking to style. Create height, mm -hmm. use a variety of shapes. Mm -hmm create height with stacks of books. I love that. Like in, you know, your cookbooks or whatever yep. and lean stuff against the back wall. What about materials? Yeah. Oh, and you said mixing glass and porcelain. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Glass or ceramics, you know, like your stem, you could have stem, like a um, few rows of glasses or stemware. Mm. Then you can have a ceramic pitcher next to it. Then you could have your books laying on their side and put a little plant on top of the stack of books. So there's just as you're going across, you're alternating your different materials so they don't blend together. So things kind of work together. <laughs> okay, question for you. I feel like often people have in their kitchens, and, and mostly this is more like in a cabinet, but you know, they'll put like all their glassware together and then they'll have like all their plates and dishes. That is something that I haven't really thought about. Yeah, like if you have a glass cabinet, like glass doors, don't have all one material behind it, you know, have, you know, your yep. champagne flutes in better glass and then have like something else, you know, a platter or something to where it's not yeah. just all like with like. Right, look at it from afar and see just how it plays out. Because if you are exposing it on an open shelf or in a glass cabinet, you want to have it look look pretty from the outside because you are going to see into it. You could have things on your open shelves, but maybe you have cabinets as well and you can hide some, you know, your others, but you want to keep the best pieces, the ones that are the most photogenic and most exciting but but it may not be all you have you know it's just you're doing like a little display so you can you know unless it, let's say you collect a certain color everything's certain colors or you mix colors or whatever it may be well you want to think of it as a, some type of display and then you know the duplicates or the 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 rest of them are behind the doors let's say that's a great way to think about it as like you're creating a display of all the things that you mm -hmm. already love. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is you collect, if you collect whites. I mean, I love white dishes and white bowls. And so I have lots of different types and they all look great together. They look great stacked. I have stacks of wooden carved, you know, and acacia wood bowls. You think of what's showing. I mean, everybody's looking at like, the, you know, at social media and at Pinterest and looking at these beautiful kitchens and saving these pictures and saying, I want my kitchen to look like that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. whereas maybe years ago, it would just be a jumble. And now it's, you, you know, we're putting more thought into what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of it being like your your best, your hall of fame, you know, your, your display 
is like all of your best treasures. Because also if they're your very favorite things, you'll probably be a little bit more like you won't be as hard on yourself because you love it as a solo. And so you're probably going to love it grouped with other items. So it might be an easier exercise, you know, than if you're trying to style your laundry room or something where like everything <laughs> is <laughs> right, like, I hate right. this all. It's all plastic bottles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, I think you should have fun with it. People like to change it up. And, you know, I know a woman who she collects McCoy pictures and she's got tons of them. I mean, she, the and they're like all like aquamarine green, blue, and has a shelf, a high shelf in her kitchen. And they're all just lining around the perimeter of her cabinets. And they're just gorgeous. I think everybody's kind of thinking, you know, I'm collect, I collect things I love, I want to show it off. <laughs> so one of the things, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but it's something that I struggle with. So I imagine others do too, is, you know, you see this, these beautiful, either homes in Instagram, on Instagram, or in a magazine, or wherever you're finding inspiration and you think, I want my house to look like this every day. But that is a completely impractical expectation because it's, you're busy, you're in and out, you've got kids, you you know, whatever. Are there ways that you can style your space to where it looks nice? Maybe it's not magazine level <laughs> perfect, but that it can function for every day? Do you have tricks or any, what have you learned over the years to where you can make things look beautiful on a daily basis? Well, I know from living in a small space and that's just my situation because I'm living in New York City that I think of interesting storage solutions that are decorative and that also function as a way, a place to stash things. So we have a beautiful like plush, storage bench that is like a seat, but you open it up and all the off-season pillows and throws and are stashed in there. It's all neatly put away, but it's also a beautiful piece that we can use. I also think of like unexpected spots, like over a hutch or a bookshelf, like the top, you know, where you can put baskets or you can stack bowls or large pieces. A lot of people don't think to use the very, very top of their bookcases as a decorative area. And, you know, you can put things that you, do, you don't need to use every day, but are just things you love. Um, and so that can be um, an overlooked spot. Um, also, like baskets. I love baskets. I love, you know, different woven baskets, different sizes, and we have them all over. And I think they're a great decorative item. We have like ham some hamper style baskets. So they're a little taller and they have some handles, but we have a lot of little musical instruments, like little shaky things and <laughs> sticks and drums and things like that. So they all are all stashed in our living room. So they're kind of organized and in something that kind of looks cool. That's one thing that I would recommend. I also would say that, you know, use your collections, like the things, like everybody has a favorite thing that they collect. They've got to. So I would say to, you know, display your collections proudly and keep them changing and evolving. Look for decorative accessories. Not everything has to be a useful piece, but it just may do the, they may just be something that just ties everything together. 
you know, there's some basic things like, like the baskets. I, I'm always for storage baskets, whether they're metal baskets or whatever material they're made out of, but look for throws and pillows, change things for the season if you want. I love to do that. Your house is somewhat neutral. You can switch up your pillows and your throws. You know, I have like faux fur pillows for the winter and then, uh, you know, lighter lighter throws for the summer. I just think there's a lot of little things that people may overlook. You don't have to hang just conventional artwork on the wall. (laughs) You can hang, you know, you can dangle an instrument or, I mean, we've had the craziest things hanging from the walls, (laughs) like an instrument or just an empty picture frame or a hat or a a woven kind of macrame style piece. So um, there's a lot of things you can do to, you know, make your house look different, interesting, be a reflection of you and your personality. I have like hangers, just empty wire hangers hanging with nothing on it, you know? (laughs) I mean, there's just like cool things, you know, look for things other than the ordinary. It doesn't all have to be framed artwork. And also, I like how you have, I see in the background, you've got a piece of art like leaning on your desk there. I I always do that too. I will lean something rather than hang it. I mean, just because I might be a little lazy, but I think it also looks cool to have things at different, li- you know, even on the floor, just a big piece leaning against the floor. Do something, do something crazy. <laughs> do something different. I do love leaned artwork. Yeah. It's, isn't it great? I love leaning artwork or like overlapping something that's hanging and not being too, yeah. too precious with everything and overlapping some artwork mm, with mm-hmm. a mirror or vice versa. Right. Different size pieces of art or photos, old family photos. Also, I love u- using family heirlooms that I ended up with. I also, I have a giant frame in my home that is just leaning against a brick wall, empty. There's nothing in it. It's just leaning there. And it's just like a, one of those um, gilded frames with lots of carved detail on it. And it keeps crumbling and falling apart, <laughs> but it's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. So... I do feel like that is kind of one of the keys, right? And if you're flipping through your book, you'll notice that with any of like the flat lays, which are sort of those, or I don't know, that's what we call them. Like that's Mm -hmm. sort of like an overhead shot where, you know, things are kind of like laying flat. I feel like it's a very magazine editorial look. But if you look at those flat lays and you really dissect them, I feel like there's always something kind of organic and crusty, rustic wood next Mm. to something very fine like velvet ribbon next to Mm. something shiny like brass whatever you know thumbtacks and you just kind of analyzing the different textures and how them being very different that contrast that we talk about all the time in decorating with your home but it's the same thing with your vignettes too you know and what made me think of it was the art, like that gilded frame that's leaning against your kind of old brick wall. It's like those two together are polar opposites and therefore just emphasize each other's uniqueness in a right. way that's just really special. of these different, exactly. different opposing textures, like I'm not one to be matching and coordinating so everything is you know neat and put to, you know perfectly put together that's definitely not me i'm like you know i love materials and yeah. um i love all those different fabric swatches that i used in the book and the 
the ribbons that are kind of re- recycled, thready kind of ribbons and, you know, all the ceramic pieces, the handmade things with a artist's hand. Um, but then again, I also love modern and I love um, classic. And I think it, there's a place for it all to work together so harmoniously or like a piece of driftwood that you found on the beach or I brought home some sea fans that I found in Jamaica that I found on the beach, you know, I brought them home with me and they're like amazing, you know, I mean that, why not display these things as, and also things from your travels too are especially meaning. So I think, you know, your home should just be a reflection of you and as eclectic as we all are ourselves, because we're also different and unique. Okay, well, should we answer a decorating dilemma? I think it's time. And we have a great one today. I specifically picked it for you, Robin, because our listener has some styling questions at the end. So, This question is from Megan, and she says... Hi there, ladies. I've been so appreciative of and slightly addicted to your podcast since discovering it last year. I'm adding dimmer switches and scooping up lamps like it's going out of style. <laughs> Love that, Megan. <laughs> Me too. Loving the dedicated Trials and Triumphs episode and more time with each talented guest. We moved into a boring beige builder grade house for more space in late 2020 and have been chipping away at projects to make it ours since then. We still have quite a few projects on the list, but we're inching closer. Closer. My husband and dad are super handy and have done a large portion of the work. That is amazing. Good, good luck. I mean, you're very lucky <laughs> to have that. I'm currently finishing up our family room and having trouble tying it all together. The TV is staying above the mantle until we finish our basement. We have two young daughters at home and spend a lot of time in here reading, playing games, doing puzzles, watching football, and entertaining. I'm hoping to achieve a classic, elegant, but cozy vibe with a little quirk too. I have a few specific questions, but appreciate any guidance you and your guest have to make the space feel finished. First, I'd love ideas for pillar covers. I didn't start with a palette in mind and might be asking a lot for some of them to tie various colors together. The vintage rug doesn't photograph well, but it is raspberry and navy in real life. The second is I would love to do color on the walls, but I kind of have grown to not hate the current yellow beige. Maybe it's okay as it is. I've considered soft blue, pale pink, something more saturated. I'm facing the open concept dilemma of where to transition colors. You know, she's got her entry wall and her kitchen and her dining nook kind of all in one space with the living room. This main back part of the house faces Southwest and gets direct light in the late afternoon, but overall is on the darker side. What would y'all do? Okay. Third, styling is not my strong suit. Luckily, Robin is here to help you. Any suggestions for the fireplace area and sofa table? We keep the coffee table mostly clear for puzzles and towers. The mantle color is an experiment completely open to other ideas. I was shocked when there wasn't a dilemma on our recent episode, so decided to write in. I feel like I'm getting a mini interior decorating education through the podcast. Thank you. That is exactly what we hope for. Come on over for fresh eggs or cocktails next time you're flying through Denver. Also, Megan, I have some very exciting news for you in case you're not yet aware. We're opening a store in Denver. So get excited. Hold tight. We're coming. We're coming. To you soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Megan's got quite the series of questions. First, I just want to say, Megan, you have an incredible start. Your photos look like an after photo to me, not a, it looks so good. So fun. Mm. And 
such a great mix of textures with the leather seating mixed with the two velvet sofas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's got this sort of bold red rug. She said, though she said it was raspberry and navy. Two parallel velvet roll arm, you know, very English country roll arm sofas that are sort of perpendicular to the fireplace, which is kind of painted almost like a slaty gray blue, it looks like in the pictures, with the fireplace over top. And then she's got sort of on the th- the fourth section, you know, it's, she's got the two parallel sofas, the fireplace, and then facing the fireplace are two leather slipper chairs. And she has done the most gorgeous treatment all over the walls that I adore is these plate walls. She has sort of three little groupings of plates that on either side of her fireplace. The They're so yeah. cute. So cute. They look, they look fabulous. So Robin, yes, what a lot you... of nice pieces. Yeah. I love the, the chinoiserie kind of idea with the plush. I think it's a mm-hmm. nice contrast and the color scheme is really nice. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think she's got some great pieces. Okay. So I guess let's start with your first question, which is throw pillows. I, you absolutely can find some throw pillows that unite all the colors together. There are hundreds of thousands of fabrics in the world. So there's going to be some that go with what you're looking for. You may have to do a little digging. And then I would also just say, like, don't worry about it matching too precisely. You know, get something in that general blue family and sort of in that red raspberry family. And don't worry that it's exact. I was thinking a stripe, maybe. Just yes, a contrast yeah. with the pattern that you have going on there. I think or that might um, could look pretty. Something a little different because you've got lots and lots of pattern already Mm -hmm. in the space so maybe uh something a little more graphic that could kind of ground it yes love that idea that was my take on it and also she can buy fabric and and they're so easy to make you could could cover those pillows that you have there because the sizes and the shapes work pretty well i think um you know just find some fabric of your choice and then bring it to a tailor or sew it if you sew at home and have them seen Real easy. Uh, one thing I said was, uh, I figure the pillows on the brown leather chairs are a little overpowering in size for that really mm-hmm. unique shape that I would think maybe I would downsize into some small roll pillow in a solid color like a navy or something because I think mm-hmm. that one pattern to me maybe stands out as... And the color of those maybe, I think, just kind of quiet down what's happening on those chairs because they are busy to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to do a little plug for Ballard, which is that you can order any of our 350 fabrics in a pillow cover and we will make it for you. Mm-hmm. So you go to like custom pillow covers and you can just literally pick any of our fabrics. Obviously, you want to order a swatch, make sure you like it, but that's an option if you're not finding something ready-made. And I was also going to say is kind of do what Robin talks about in her book, which is you've got this gorgeous plush sofa. Maybe try to find a a real nubby linen or something kind of woven or something not, you know, you're probably going to want like at least two different, two to three pillows per sofa. So maybe find something that has all your colors in it and then something that has kind of a contrasting texture to your sofa, whether it's a linen or a something, you know, kind of looks hand woven or something could be cool. 
or you can even do a round pillow. Oh, with the square pillows. You could mm-hmm. do like a tufted, um, yes. you know, button tufted round with a square. Just for I love those. So they're not like this, all the same shape. I think you've got a good start. I mean, you have a good eye. So, and the great thing about pillow covers is that it's easy to replace them and try something new. So, order some bring them home. You can send them back if they don't work. And yeah. Okay. So what's next? Next, she says what to do with the color on the walls. She doesn't hate the, the sort of yellowy beige neutral, but she's also considered blue, pink, or something more saturated. I don't, I don't dislike it. I don't dislike it, but take it into Photoshop and color something oh. up. I mean, how cool would it be if it was kind of a darker blue that mm-hmm. kind of melted that those sofas in and then made the whites that are in the plates pop off. That'd That's, be really that does sound pretty. You could do yeah. one accent wall. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I do. Like maybe one wall in a dark color and then keep the others neutral. I do think the nice thing about it, something slightly darker, especially behind that TV is that I'm not really worried about a TV over a fireplace. That's just kind of the world we live in. So I don't think it's a faux pas personally. But if you are not loving it, then a slightly darker color will help the TV kind of fade away a little bit. I mean, it's still obviously going to be there, but it won't be quite so like giant black box over the fireplace, you know? So that is something to consider. But she does say it's dark in here. Mm -hmm. And also she has an open plan. Yeah. space right so the kitchen which we saw a little glimpse of the kitchen is very white and bright mm-hmm. um, you can peek through and see the kitchen in the distance yeah. there mm-hmm. so then where is that transition point where you begin the other room you know right. where so yeah. I, it, it's a little tricky to figure out exactly which wall starts the other room yeah true um, and so that's why I thought it looked nice to have it, you know, all bright and neutral since you do have the dark couches. But, you know, you guys have great ideas, too. So, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of taste. I mean, I did have dark walls in my living room at first. And then I just felt like it was a little enclosed and it was a little dark, you know. And mm-hmm. that was like called the painter back in a month and said, <laughs> paint it all white. <laughs> Let's get rid of it because I've seen a lot of dark, dark in in um, design catalogs and oh how yeah. cool that looks really cool but I guess you have to just slap some paint on the wall and live with it for a little while and see how it makes you feel yeah I personally would probably leave it myself but that might just be because it seems very daunting to have to pick one color for all of the house yeah that's true until you I guess what I'm trying to say is until you have a very strong opinion or like a really definitive feeling about it don't just willy-nilly paint paint it, you know, because you have a wild hair, if this is something that connects to every other room in your entire downstairs. That's true. Although I do like the the shot from her front door that has this fantastic found mm-hmm. runner that oh my God, leads that runner. back into that space. And if there was a color on on her walls in that room, it would be a great thing to just draw your eye in into the house. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Okay. I, I'm obsessed with that runner. Yeah, that will you yeah, sell to me, my dress. <laughs> yeah, that is so pretty. I mean, she you you really have Yeah, we're gonna have to go in Megan because yeah. you've got a great eye. 
Um, okay. So Robin, so I don't know yeah. that we've given you any, any answers to your paint question, but I would say <laughs> sleep on it, test it out in Photoshop, like Liz suggested. You know, I do love the color of the mantle though. I think that's kind of, it's really cute. It's really cute. When I blew it up on my computer, it looked like a kind of French blue, um, mm-hmm. bluish gray. And I kind of like that. It's kind of different and it really works to tie together the the darker shades of blue and, and the raspberry tones. I think it's a good in-between nice shade that's reading yeah. kind of neutral. So yeah. that's my two cents about the mantle. <laughs> okay, so let's get to our third question because I think you're going to nail it. Styling is not her strong suit. Any suggestions for the fireplace area, the sofa table? What do you think? Well, okay. So I was thinking since we're approaching the holiday season, my mind was kind of going to how do I style it for the holidays? So this is this is just like, I'm, and I would just check to see where you're located. And you're in Denver, so you do get cold weather. So, <laughs> And um, if you have um, some evergreen trees outside that you can go snip, uh, snip some branches or buy some greenery at the store. Um, I would, you know, and I have done this to photograph. <laughs> it looks really good. Um, pieces like uh, boughs, branches laying on the mantle that have some kind of depth and dimension, um, you know, short pieces, but um, not too small. And they could hang forward a little bit and hang off the edges. And then, um, spread them out and keep them kind of low. And then you can decorate for the holidays with some ornament balls or pine cones or some figurines popping out or candlesticks. You can kind of create a little holiday vignette without it looking too specific like Christmassy. You can make it kind of winter season and have it up like through February. And I like asymmetry also so having some low things and some tall things sticking out but don't you know you don't have to have matching things on either side you can kind of keep it you know a little bit of a an ebb and flow through peeking through little things peeking through the the um the branches um yeah pretty yeah that was just kind of what came to mind just for this holiday i would pick like maybe three colors max for the things like maybe use gold or brass and uh, blues and greens, perhaps, or maybe that dark burgundy for the items that you that you put in there. If you do decorate for the holidays, that is um, just a little alternative to putting up a wreath or doing a tree. You can decorate your mantle. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Any ideas for that? Because then I'll talk yeah. about the coffee table. Nope. Love your ideas. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then the coffee table in front of the couch is what I'm assuming. Since you use the table often for games, I would have items that are ready to pick up and move as you need the table, but keep the table decorated. But um, this is what I would do. I would have some kind of low floral arrangement or plant. Um, I would also have um, some kind of um, basket. Uh, not a basket, but a wide bowl that you could put magazines or books in. And then also I'm kind of intrigued by that little crisscross underneath the table that you can see through the glass. You could see the, um, you know, the frame underneath. And that looks like if you took, let's say you had to move things in a hurry and you're going to be playing, you could just take your low wide 
bowl. I have something that's made out of brass that's like very wide and I keep all my magazines in there and you could just pick it up and slide it underneath and keep it there. And then also you have a nice little tray. I see something in there in the picture that you could keep a pitcher of water or lemonade and a few glasses, a stack of coasters. I always keep coasters around because you've got a glass table, you've got other wooden pieces and things around. So I always have coasters at the ready because people always walk in here with a cup of iced coffee or lemonade or something and they want to put their drink down. So always have coasters around or it can be a snack jar, some kind of big screw top uh, thing with cookies in it or something like that. So I would, so it would be like something floral and organic and it could be dried flower, it could be a dried flower arrangement. So or a real plant that you're caring for that has a drainage thing underneath. But I like dried flowers. They're really in right now. And everybody's doing dried flowers. They never, never go bad. Um, there's some beautiful things around now that you can um, do in a beautiful arrangement. So any of these things are ready to move, ready to go if you need the table. If you want to spread out a big jigsaw puzzle or, you know, if you want to do your homework sitting at the table, whatever it might be, um, they're all just ready to pick up and move. So that's my two cents on that one. What about her little console table that's like behind the sofa? Oh, okay. So let's look at the console. I think there's nice pieces there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's, she's got, got a, like a little cactus and like something that looks like it's growing plant. in a teacup. Yep, which I think is adorable. Mm -hmm. And a framed picture. And uh, a lamp that looks like it has a, the base has some kind of wings or something and a, on top of a book. Or I don't know if that's all attached, but I love uh, the idea of having that lamp right behind there. And it's a really nice piece that the console, I'm not sure what that other little like sort of looks like a ceramic piece, like a something you have in what do you call that type of piece? It looks <laughs> like ceramic. a low garden stool. Yes, that's and but she has several of them around the say, house. Yeah. I see the there's other ones and I think they're really cute. But maybe that's a little tall for back there. I think what she's got is it's very nice the way it is. I mean, I love how you carry through the the blue and white patterns on all of your ceramic pieces throughout the house. I think it looks great. So maybe I would just remove that large piece, but it really just depends on how it looks in person. But it looks a little big for that table. Um, and maybe would even lower that and put that piece on the floor beside the table. I like doing that too. I might put a container with some dried flowers on the floor next to the table. But that's my thoughts on that one. Well, Megan, we are so glad that you're enjoying the show and thank you for taking the time to send in your questions. You, I, your house looks so fabulous. So well done. It's always so fun to see everyone's homes. It really does look beautiful. I love it. Yep. And everybody has such a different style, I'm sure. And she's got so many great pieces. I mean, she's got a lot to work with. So I would say you are a stylist. <laughs> Even if you don't think so, you are. You've done a great job. Yeah. All right, Robin, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, and pick up your brand new book? Oh, absolutely. Well, my book is available, and the book is called Styling Beyond Instagram. It's available at all the online booksellers. 
Um, so just put it into your search engine and, you know, all the usual ones will pop up. So it's available um, very easy to obtain. Um, you can also go to my own website. Uh, you can go to the propstylingexperience.com and there's links to jump off and buy it from there. Follow me on Instagram. I would love that. I'm at Robin Zachary and that's R-O-B-I-N. <laughs> Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y. People like to put a Y in my name, my Robin. And then I do have a work portfolio at robinzachary.com. And then also a newer portfolio on a website called foundartists.com. And they are, they sort of um, have um, portfolios of lots of different photographers and stylists. So I just joined up with them in the last year. So I have my newer work on that website. So I'm all over the place. So I'm really easy to find. So I would love it if your listeners would find me on Instagram and send me a direct message, ask me questions. I'm always looking to help people that are interested in styling. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. This was fun. It was fun. It was great talking to both of you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And thank you for sharing your book with us. It was, it was such a treat and it's always interesting to see the, um, sort of the behind the scenes of different careers. So, yes, I love talking about it. So, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for asking me great questions. I really appreciate it. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!